You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and it is great to be here with you today. So last night, there was a beginning of a series of one-on-one senatorial debates that are, were, are going to be held at the Kennedy School of Government that uh, will be moderated by Brett Baer of Fox News. And it was really actually a pretty good discussion. The first pair was Lindsey Graham and Bernie Sanders. And what I thought was so interesting is just the deflecting, deflecting, deflecting. What Lindsey Graham was basically saying was that we need to focus on the problems that we have at hand, not in the past. Uh, Bernie Sanders wants to blame everybody. He wants to blame corporations. He wants to blame uh, anybody but the government for the problems we're in. And there are some legitimate things that they were talking about, like saving Social Security and other things. But as Lindsey Graham pointed out, then if you believe that, put a bill out there. Put a bill out there for debate. Don't go to your corner, which is what for the last 10 years they've been doing. They go to their corner with their caucuses and they just hash things out. They decide on things. Then they drop them in at the last minute and expect you to vote on them. Now, that's happening in the Senate. It's happening in the House. There is not real deliberation going. And I would argue that the people that are in power today, the Schumers, Pelosi's, McConnell's, McCarthy's, don't remember what it was like to do things the right way. Three of those four people are in their 70s to 80s. Okay? It's time to move on. I keep hearing in my head that line from the Kennedy inaugural speech. It's time to pass the torch to a new generation. The next line is born in this century, which is not correct in this case because they wouldn't be eligible to run if they were born in this century. But if you think about where we were in the 1960s trying to pass the torch to a new generation, some of those people are pretty close to being there at that time. Our president was elected in 1974, which was only 14 years after that famous speech. He was one of those new generation people that former President Kennedy, that uh, that President Kennedy who was assassinated, was talking about. But he's not that new generation person either. And he, one, has nobody in his administration that understands economy. Nobody. The people that were the economic people in the Obama administration. I love it how people like to say Obama's pulling all the strings in the Biden administration. The good people from the Obama administration are not in the Biden administration. And the economic experts, which even though the growth was lackluster during the Obama time, it was about 1% a year. At least it was growth instead of negative. At least we were working out of the Great Recession, not making things worse. Things are inordinately worse than they were when 
President Biden took office. And he wants to blame everybody but himself. He's going to go to Saudi Arabia. Maybe he's already gone. I haven't kept track of the trip. But he's going to Saudi Arabia to beg them to produce more when he signed two executive orders that reduced the production in America, basically his first day in office. So my question is, do you spend hundreds of millions of dollars, and maybe it's only $100 million, but it's a lot of money, to travel to Saudi Arabia with Air Force One and the Beast and uh, all the people that travel with you and the press corps and all that kind of stuff to ask them to produce more? Or do you, with a pen and a phone, as former President Obama famously said, reverse these two executive orders that will get oil production back on track in the United States? It's going to take time to get it back on track. But by doing those two things, we can reverse and get the futures going in the right direction in the oil market. And I just find it so hypocritical that Everybody is up in arms about Saudi Arabia, whether it was the murder of the Washington Post journalist or how they treat women or many other things. And after 9-11, I was able, being involved in 9-11, I was able to actually interview Prince Turkey of Saudi Arabia when they were trying to rebuild their relationship with the United States. And he was very frank with me. I mean, he, they said that they went after the families of the 9-11 um, hijackers and it wouldn't be in a way that we would do things but they in his words took care of it but we're upset with Saudi Arabia supposedly but we don't mind that President Biden's going to go over there to a regime that the left says they don't like they don't mind going over there and having us spend millions of dollars maybe a hundred million dollars to go over there but yet those same left-wing progressives are beating up phil mickelson a golfer because he's playing a golf tournament for a saudi arabian league okay it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me it doesn't make any sense either you're pro saudi arabia or you're not and if you're not pro saudi arabia you can't be pro you know anti saudi arabia but it's okay for the president to go over there and beg for oil production But it's not okay for a professional golfer who's a private citizen to play golf wherever he wants to. It just doesn't make sense at all. And I think what we have to do is do what we can do within our own borders. Take care of you and yours. And the two things that President Biden could do today that might save him in November. I don't I don't want to save him. I want to win and win big. I want there to be a, such a big red wave that that the speech that President Obama made when he came out and said we were shellacked is going to look like a comedy sketch compared to what Joe Biden is going to have to say in November. That's what I want. But if I were a strategist and I were advising President Biden, I would say to him, okay, there's two things you can do that can set you back on the right course. And you're going to have to get rid of some people in your administration because you put people in there that want to destroy the oil and gas industry. And you put people in there that want open borders. You're going to have to get rid of some people. But you could reverse the executive orders on immigration and you could reverse the executive orders on the Keystone Pipeline and drilling on federal lands. And if you do those things... 
you could probably not have as bad of a bloodbath as you're going to have in November. But they're not going to do that because they're in this unreasonable phase of progressiveness where they think that the pain you and I are suffering right now by spending five to eight hundred dollars more a month just to live is worth it for the long term goal. Now, hear that these people in this ivory tower that they live in, all of them have have, you know, they have drivers they have schedulers. They have all these things. And they think it's okay for you to spend $10,000 more a year, five to $10,000 more a year, when you're not making five to $10,000 more. It's okay. The pain you're going to feel is okay because in the long run, what we're doing is better for you. I know what's good for you, little boy or little girl. So you just do what I say. For a party to have their position be, you need to hurt for us to get our way, that's not the American way. The American way is for the individual to be able to chart their own way and to do better than their parents did. That's what the American dream is. It's not about being rich. It's not about any of that. The American dream is your children will do better than you did and have more opportunity. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Welcome back to the Martha Zoller Show, and it's so great to be able to talk to Ricky Young. And uh, first of all, welcome to the program, Ricky. How are you? I'm good, Martha. How are you? I'm doing great. Listen, first of all, tell us about your organization that is protecting black history in Gainesville Hall County. Well, we are the Gainesville Hall County Black History Society Incorporated. It's our aim to collect, to preserve, and to educate about our history. Um, and so I, that's all. And I tell you, we worked together on a little project that we did for Beulah Rucker, the Beulah Rucker Educational Foundation that we unveiled a few months ago at Gainesville High School, but this past weekend, you all were involved in not only a parade to commemorate Juneteenth, but a whole day of events. First of all, tell us, or tell our listeners, what is Juneteenth and why is it important? Juneteenth came about as a result of Union soldiers delivering the message to slaves in Gaveston, Texas, on June 19, 1865, the news of the Emancipation Proclamation, almost two and a half years after it was issued, um, these slaves would find out from the Union generals that they have been freed for the last two and a half years, and, and as of that date, June 19th, 1865, they were informed of their freedom that was issued by Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation. And this was, you know, it's kind of like it's hard for us to imagine in today's world that something would take two and a half years for the message to get through. But they didn't have social media, right? No telephones, none of that. The message had to be passed. There was a war going on. There were a lot of things happening. And what I've always found so interesting about this history is this was more than two months after the actual end of the Civil War. Yes. 
Right. Well, um, yes. Yes. But I would tell you that I think the reason the word wasn't passed on wasn't due to the issues associated with social media. Um, if you are in Texas and you are a Texan, then you have seceded from the union. And, of course, maintaining your way of life is very important. So I don't think that the owners were in any big hurry to inform the slaves of what was going on or what had happened. Why is it so important to keep this history alive and to tell these stories? Why is this so important? Well, it's the story of a whole group of people. That makes it important in and of itself, and then for it to be the history of my people, African-American people, that's important in and of itself. It is our history. It is America's history. And for those reasons, it's important. So tell us about the events that happened this past weekend. Okay. Well, of course, it is an Independence Day, Freedom Day celebration. And once those former slaves learned of their freedom, they celebrated. And so Juneteenth is an annual celebration that commemorates them learning of their freedom. So at our event this past weekend, it was held at Ferris Street Elementary School, which, of course, was the school that was originally built for Gainesville City's colored students. It replaced the Summer Hill School, which was called the Gaines City uh, Public College School, um, that was destroyed in the, by the, the tornado of 1936 in Gainesville. And so with that happening, Fair Street was constructed uh, to replace Summer Hill uh, near the same location. And so the rich history that's just associated with Fair Street and its origins was celebrated. We told the history of that on the campus and the history of Gainesville Southside community, which is the way the African-American community identified itself at the time. Um, so the Fast Street, Street Butler High Alumni Association and the Gainesville County Black History Society teamed up to present the history of Fast Street School, but also the history of the Southside community. Commercial vending took place. North, Northeast Georgia Health Systems, along with Lone Street Clinic, put on a public health fair. Um, we had a community-wide showcase of talent, and we had sports and recreational games done at the Boys and Girls Club of Lanier. Um, and, of course, um, just the idea of inviting everybody in the community back to the community center, epicenter, which was Fair Street School. All of that was a part of it. And people spoke of it being like an old reunion, something they hadn't experienced in a long time. You know, years, probably 20 years ago, I was invited to one of the Butler High reunions uh, and uh, Butler High, for people that don't know, was the old uh, black high school and was actually a very new building at the time of integration. And 
um, you know, then it was in integration. Butler Street was closed and and the community was integrated into Gainesville High School. Uh, And a lot of that history was lost uh, for a long period of time. And it was something, you know, I was so thankful to be invited. I was invited by Jerry Castleberry to come one that year. I think it was about 20 years ago. And it was a part of history that I didn't know. I didn't know. And I and I really was a light went on for me because in the closing of many of these schools, uh, you know, the the impetus to close the schools were to say that they weren't as good as the so-called white schools. But what happened by doing integration the way we did it was that a lot of the, the teachers were lost and a lot of the history was lost and the school was lost in many ways. So it's really important to try to maintain that history and to teach it, because if we don't teach it, we lose it. That is correct. And as you're indicating, you, you spoke of the history of E. Butler High. E. Butler High's school only existed for seven years. But prior to its existence in 1962, all of those students who attended Butler High would have attended high school at Fair Street High School. And Fair Street would have been one of the one, one of the schools that went from grade one through grade twelve, um, prior to kindergarten being added in. So Butler High's history is directly related to Fair Street's history, and so Butler High, being a seven-year history, again beginning in 1962. The history of Fair Street dates back to 1936. So that's how deeply rooted into the community it is. And yeah, just like Butler Heights history, in part, was lost in integration. Um, the institution called Fair Street, a lot of its history wasn't lost. It was just not, not emphasized enough as time has gone on and time has gone by. Uh, a lot of our young folks today would not be aware that Fair Street actually began as a college school. Well, and it's funny because you're kind of, I think of you as a laureate of history in our community because you really keep it going. You taught for years. You're you're very involved in the community. Why is history your passion? How long has that been in your life? And and how do you continue to pursue it? Well, my love for history comes from my family, my mother's mother, my grandmother, Jessie Mariah DeForest, Jessie Mariah DeForest Salmon Mosley. She was a teacher. She taught from 1911 to 1941 in a one-room school in Somerville, Georgia. Now, that's not the beginning of the history. Her father and her mother were both teachers. Isaiah Sam and her dad taught for more than 42 years. Her mom taught in her early years. Isaiah was a Morehouse man, and uh, Lucy Jane, her his husband, his wife, she he sent her to Spelman. He also sent Jesse to Spelman. Isaiah came up out of slavery, but he began teaching when he was 19, 20 years old. Very young, but he was educated, so he qualified. So 
I am in the fourth generation, a sixth generation of educators. I was the last of the fourth generation retired, but we have 30 plus educators in our family that spent some 700 plus years teaching in this country. And that grandmother of mine, Grandma Jesse, she wrote the history of the Oak Hill Baptist Church. And all my life, on the third Sunday in May up in Somerville, Georgia, we would hear the reading of the history of Oak Hill Church that was penned by my godmother, my grandmother. So history's always been of interest. I always used to wonder, how is it if my folks, my mom's folks were from Somerville, how did I end up being in Gainesville? Well, all of it's tied to education and history. And you talked about the Beulah Rutgers School. My grandmother sent seven of her 12 children to the Beulah Rutgers School at one time or another, which is how our family got introduced to the Gainesville community. And then four of those Mosley sisters stayed in Gainesville, and they were educators in Gainesville. And they date back to even the uh, combining of all the schools for colored students at Fair Street. They were instrumental in teaching in the Hall County schools, uh, church schools. Well, I tell you uh, what, I tell you what, listening to you tell these stories sounds like music in my ears, and we could talk all day. Uh, but I want you to tell folks, how can they get involved in the Gainesville Hall County Black History Society? If you would like to communicate with us, currently we have an email address that is the best way to do the communication. And that email address is blackhist. Gainesville Hall County at gmail.com. That's B L A C K H I S T G A I N E S D I L L E H A L L C O U N T Y at gmail.com. Ricky Young, thank you so much. You are a jewel in this community. I know you don't take credit for all the things that you do, but they do not go unnoticed. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Martha. Thank Have you. a good day. You too. Thank you, Ricky. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and joining me right now is Senator Rick Scott of Florida. He's the former governor of Florida. He also uh, is the chairman of the NRSC, and he's. we welcome him here today. Hi, Rick. Tell us a little bit about the plan that you have that, that you're going to want to implement if the Senate takes control. Well, I'm a business guy. Um, so I was governor of Florida, but before that I built businesses. And when you're a business guy, what you do you want to have success, you write up a plan, you build a management team around that plan, and you implement a plan. I did the exact same thing when I was governor of Florida. I, we have got to have a plan to rescue this country. The radical left has taken over everything. I mean, they control every part of our economy now. They control the House, the Senate, and the White House. And if we want to change the country, we've got to have a plan. We've got to balance the budget. Uh, we've got to make sure kids you know, believe this is the greatest country, which it is in the world. Say the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, you know, they salute the flag. You've got to stop this racial politics. Government should be asking you your skin color. Um, we've got to get rid of. We got to. We got to absolutely defeat socialism. So I put up 11 steps, 128 policy points to say this is my plan. What is yours? And give me your ideas. But let's fight over this. 
But when we get a majority, which I believe we will get a majority in the House and Senate in November, what are we going to do? Let's have a plan, because if we have a plan, we're going to get something done. Newt Gingrich did this in 1994. He had a plan contract with America. They implemented it, and they made great changes. we got to do the same thing to rescue this country. You know, there have been a couple of times that Republicans have controlled all three parts of the two parts of the legislative branch and the White House and several times in the last 15 years where they've had both houses, but they haven't been able to seem to get the big things done. How are we going to be different this time? Because I'm with you. I think we're going to win the Senate back, and I think we're going to win the House back. But how will this time be different as far as getting things done? It won't be different if we don't have a plan. It's not going to be any different. Um, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to say, well... You know, let's be careful, all that stuff. No, let's be bold. God favors people that are bold. Uh, I want to be bold of the things we know we have to do to take care of American families, take America, take care of American jobs, make sure our kids get a great education, make sure we take care of our law enforcement so we live in safe communities. We've got to be bold. And so what I'm going to be doing is constantly talking about this. I've had over uh, almost well, over almost 300,000 people read the plan. Thousands have given me their comments. We're going to continue uh, to make additions to the plan. And then my goal is uh, when we get a majority, I'm going to push legislation that's going to fix this country. We've got to rescue this country for the benefit of your family, my family, you know, everybody in this country. Make it a better society to live in. So, look, I live in public housing. My mom said, I don't care that we don't have any money. You live in, in this country. You can be anything. That has to be true again for everybody in this country. And you mentioned that before, and we're talking to Senator Rick Scott. Tell people a little bit more about your story, just a little bit about where you came from and how you got to where you are. I, I'm blessed. I was born to a single mom uh, in the Midwest. Uh, she, uh, we lived in public housing. She said, everything is your responsibility, meaning you can fix anything, and you can't assume anybody's going to take care of you. That's what, I mean, she was a tough-as-nails tough mom. And she was a great person because she pushed me to do well in school, be an Eagle Scout, um, go to church all the time, to work at a young age. And all those things paid off for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely blessed. She eventually remarried. I am an adopted father who was a, a bus driver, then truck driver. Uh, they struggled, you know, they struggled for money. But that's America. Like, were they happy? Yeah. And then my mom said to me, Rick, you live in the greatest country ever. There's no limit what you in your life can, can, can accomplish. You've got to study hard. You've got to work hard. But you can be anything. That's what I tell my, my grandkids. When I was governor of Florida and when I had the opportunity to visit schools, I tell, I tell these kids, you can be the governor. You can be the president. You can build a company. You can be whatever you want to be because you live in this country. We've got to make sure that's true. And if that's true, it's a great place for every family to live. I, you know, I think you're, I always love to hear your story because uh, you have built a number of businesses. How you started um, the the main business you're known, you're known for, I thought was a very interesting story, too, about how you had to cobble together just about everything you had so that you could get started in this business. And then you had to get other people to believe in you. Oh, that's what you, oh, that's what you have to do every day. So, yeah, I started, uh, I started my first business, actually, when I got out of the Navy, um, the, uh, I built, I bought a donut shop so my mom could have a job because my uh, adopted dad was disabled by then. Um, but eventually I built uh, a large hospital company. My first 
I, I you know, my first, um, I bought two hospitals and I, I've leveraged every bit of everything I could and, uh, help people helping me. We built the largest hospital company ever. Um, and then I got to do a lot of manufacturing companies and my, my focus was figure out what, what is the right thing to do, find good people to work with, and then just work your butt off implementing your plan. And that's what our country's got to do. Uh, so I tell people, go to rescueamerica.com or you can text America to 22044, America 22044, and give me your ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hell-bent on making this country better and rescuing from the radical left that is trying to indoctrinate our kids and trying to make everybody dependent on government. I don't want to be, I don't want to be dependent on government. If you, like, like I believe, if you can work, Go to work. Be part of the capitalistic system. You'll be part of paying taxes for roads and bridges and things like that and help build your society. This is our country. Be proud of it and build it. Now, control of the Senate could come down to Georgia again. I mean, we've got a a competitive Senate race here in Georgia. In your role as chairman of the NRSC, how do you see that? Oh, we're going to win. You know, Herschel Walker's running running a good race. Now, let's let's remember, this race is going to be, it's going to be about... About Joe Biden, it's going to be about you know gas prices of over five bucks, inflation of, of over eight um, percent, you know critical race theory and indoctrinating our kids. The Democrats want to defund the police. That's what the election is going to be about. Uh, Herschel's going to run a good race. Uh, Warnick, Warnick, you know he he seems like a very nice guy, but he votes one hundred percent of the time with Chuck Schumer. I mean Chuck Schumer is not you. You would not want Chuck Schumer to represent the state of Georgia, and that's what I mean. So Warnick has to vote with Chuck Schumer because Chuck Schumer paid for his race. I mean, he he, he got Warnick elected by, by raising money and running ads in, in Georgia. So we're going to define uh, Warnick uh, on his voting record, not based on his background. Um, he's got an inspirational story, but his voting record is bad for Georgia. There was a big turnout in, in your uh, primary. Um, way more Republicans uh, turned out to vote than Democrats. Uh, so we have every reason to believe uh, that, you know, you guys will win the, the governor's race again and we'll win the Senate race again. And, we'll ha- and it's going to be Georgia will be the reason we get a majority uh, in the Senate. We should have we shouldn't have lost those two seats last time, um, but we did. Uh, so now we've got to figure out how to how to make sure uh, that Herschel Walker uh, beats Warnick this time. And we're running ads explaining exactly how Warnick's voting, because that's this is about how do you vote when you get up there? It's not about whether you're a nice guy or or not. Um, the, it's, it's about how do you vote and the way Warnick's voting is not good for Georgia. Do you have any concerns at all about Herschel Walker and his candidacy and his ability to step up and do this job? No. You know, if you, if you look, Herschel is a hard worker. He's got a very inspirational story. Uh, you know, when you're around Herschel, the first thing you do is, you know, you like him. Uh, you like him as a person. Uh, you know he's going to work hard. He knows you know what you know about Herschel is he cares about you. He wants he wants something good for you. He's he's had he's been very successful in his life, and he wants that success for other people. So I think Herschel's going Herschel's going to run a, a good race, and the election is going to be about do you want do you want Chuck Schumer or would you rather have Herschel Walker uh, as your senator? And those those that's who that's basically uh, your choices. And I don't think I'll I'll be shocked if Georgian picked. Chuck Schumer a second time because I mean look at look at what Warnick has voted for open borders okay he 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 doesn't he didn't want to keep our schools open 
He supported getting rid of the uh, All-Star Game, which cost what Georgia hundred million dollars uh, in revenue. Uh, he he's not you know he's he's anti he's been anti-police, and so I mean the way he's voted, um, I mean he I mean you name you name all these issues. He's voted opposite to where the people of Georgia think. Senator Scott, tell folks that website again if they want to know inf- more information about your plan. Yep. You can go to rescueamerica.com or you can text America to 22044 and give me your thoughts. I'm, I'm working every day to do three things. Represent uh, the great state of Florida. Number two, make sure we get a majority in the U.S. Senate uh, as the chair of the National Republican Central Committee. And then number three, come up with a plan. doesn't have to be my plan. Let's fight over what it should be. But let's, when we win in November, I don't care if it's 10 points, let's say we're going to do these 10 things to make sure we rescue this country. Senator Rick Scott, thank you so much for your time today. We'll talk again soon. Hey, Martha. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.